I think I use pattern like people use colour. Um, I don't think about like warm, you know, cool. I think about push, pull, twist, turn, sink, swim, things like that. So they're all verbs. So I, like if I do a really intense pattern, I want the next one to sink away. So yeah, that's how I think about making work. Hi, and welcome to episode 89 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger, and I'm excited to bring you my conversation with Lucas Grogan. I suspect that wherever you're listening from in the world, your life is pretty similar to mine. Staying home as much as possible, unless you have good reason not to be. Hope you're in good health and getting through all the challenges which are coming with this new situation. I think we're all trying to get used to it and get through it. And Lucas is the first guest I've interviewed on Zoom, which was fantastic. He was in his studio in Newcastle, which he usually shares with other artists. But since COVID-19's been around, it's been pretty quiet in there. As well as this audio episode, I'm hoping to make a short video using some of the Zoom footage as well as images of his works, and I'm hoping to get that onto my YouTube channel by the end of April. There's no mistaking a Lucas Grogan work, whether it's a mural, an ink drawing or an intricate quilt, which, by the way, he totally makes himself. His detailed monochromatic patterns, which are usually blue, are unique, and his carefully chosen lines of text, however brief, are full of meaning and humour. Although he's only in his mid-30s, he's had over 20 solo shows and has been working as a full-time artist since 2012. He has work in private and public collections, including the National Gallery of Australia. His survey show, Long Story Short, was three years in the making and opened in his hometown of Maitland at the Maitland Regional Art Gallery at the end of February. Unfortunately, it was closed only a few short weeks later because of COVID-19. It was supposed to run until mid-May. Nonetheless, it's a triumph, and luckily Lucas was able to film a walkthrough of the show before the doors closed. So make sure you go to the gallery's website or Lucas's social media, um, Facebook and Instagram, because from that video, you get a good sense of him and his work. The crew at Maitland Regional Art Gallery are also bringing together some more content about that show, so that'll be available on the website soon too. Just Google Maitland Regional Art Gallery. Lucas is currently working on his next solo show, which is coming up at the end of July at Hugo Michel Gallery in Adelaide. He's engaging, funny, and it was a pleasure to meet him. All the works we talk about in this episode are on the website talkingwithpainters.com. Also, just a heads up, after about 25 minutes, you'll hear a bit of background noise, which I think is a lawnmower, but it only lasts a couple of minutes and I just didn't want to edit that bit out because I thought it was too important. It's the 8th of April 2020. Uh, we're about, what, about two and a half weeks into this weird new life. How are you finding it, Lucas? Look, um, it's <laughs> honestly, it's... Like many artists have said, it's not that dissimilar from my normal life. Um, what's sad is that I share my studio with uh, uh, seven different artists and, um, yeah, I don't see them. Yeah. So I miss them and they're 
top guys and we have a group chat and we talk every day and um, we check in on each other and um, I'm so, you know, I'm so excited for what they're doing at home or and also different galleries are doing different things for them to promote them on like online or whatever. You know, it's all good. I love this change, to be honest. It's sort of weird, isn't it? Because I reckon you find that you're connecting with people in a different way um, because somehow everything stopped and it's like there's this new sort of connection that's happening. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, uh, institutions are scrambling for online content, left, right and centre, and um, I think it's actually really good and people are buying work, especially small work, and... um, uh, the news is surprisingly optimistic. I think it's good. I think people realise that they can't live without art. And um, I think that's really heartening. Uh, although we're all doing it really tough. but Well, and also, you can either be looking at, you know, the news on YouTube or something, or you can be looking at art. I mean, I, mean, I think I know what I'd rather be doing at the moment. Yeah. I've had to back off the... Uh, the news and the podcasts and how bad do you need to hear it, do you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Just follow the rules. Yeah. Well, and, uh, well, one of the casualties of this whole thing um, has been your brilliant show, your survey show at um, Maitland Regional Art Gallery, which is long story short. It's just fantastic. Congratulations. Great, great exhibition. Thanks, mate. And I'm so glad you got in before they sort of shut the doors to get a short video tour, which yep. is brilliant, which, which everyone can go and see on the Maitland Regional Art Gallery website. It is so fantastic because I just love the way you actually went through and actually talked about the works and the personal meaning behind a lot of it. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, I'm just really conscious of, uh, uh, you know, I see my job as... Uh, making images, making work. I, and I don't want to bore people with talking, so, I, you know, I, just, I was trying to be as brief and quick as possible, to be honest. It crosses, like, mural and um, embroidery quilts, um, drawing. It's just brilliant. Uh, there's so much depth to your work. Um, Thank you so much. Have you been like sort of working across several disciplines from day one, more or less? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My first exhibition in 2003 were uh, carpets. So I've always been obsessed with textiles. So I've always mixed it up. And um, I'm the accidental muralist, the accidental painter. If I could make a living from either poetry or textiles, I'd do that. But somehow paint needs to pay the bills. That's interesting, isn't it, that painting would, is more saleable or something than textiles, especially when you see how much work goes into your em- embroideries and everything. It's sort of weird to think that that's not valued more highly in a way. It's a status thing. You reckon? Definitely. But it's also the difference between, um, uh, like I prefer to work on uh, board, like uh, mount board, as opposed to canvas. But um, if I do two identical works, the work on a mount board will be worth half what a canvas work is. And it's just a surface that I really love to work on because it's so sturdy and 
but if you put enough layers of uh, paint on it, it'll go quite velvety, which canvas never does. And that's what I really like about it. The other great thing about this survey show of yours being in Maitland is because is that's where you grew up, basically. Um, and is that is your family still there? Yeah, they're all still there, or bar one. Because you've got a lot of brothers and sisters, haven't you? Well, it depends who you ask. I've got six or seven. And um, <laughs> um, they're all still out there doing their thing. None of them are particularly arty. And um, so the opening was amazing because, and they're not on social media, so they kind of had no idea. So it was super fun. Yeah, so they must have just been so impressed with it. Yeah, they just, you know, they, they, they just tell people I'm a house painter, which kind of <laughs> I am. But, um, you know, they just, it's just not their universe. The, it, was, it was honestly one of the greatest days I've ever had. And my dad was there and he invited everyone and, yeah, it was great. Weren't you going to call it something like Local Boy Made Good or something? Well, I, I wanted to call it Local Boy Comes Good. Oh, Comes Good, right. But, yeah, obviously because it's a council, they wouldn't let me write C-U-M-S. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, yeah. So the, uh, fair, the, fair enough. The title after that was, um, uh, honestly, if there was money in poetry, I'd just do that honestly. But I thought that was a bit too wanky coming from me. So I wanted to make a title that would include everything in the show. So long story short was perfect, I thought. Yeah, it's a great title. I think it really suits the show. Um, since we're talking about Maitland, let's talk a bit. I, I'm always interested in asking my guests about their childhood and, you know, whether, what sort of memories they have of art when they're a kid. What's, what was your childhood like? Were you into drawing and all that sort of thing? Um, yeah. I actually just posted on my Facebook. Um, my auntie sent me two photos of uh, the first two artworks I ever sold. And I sold them to my aunt for 20 bucks. And um, I remember exactly what I bought. And she's got them framed in gold frames still in her living room. And they do not look dissimilar from what I do today. Really? So there's no progression whatsoever. So how old, how old were you? Eight. Oh, you're eight. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. So, so, you, were doing, so you, you remember doing a lot of drawing and that sort of thing, like just in your spare time or? It's kind of like an obsession. Like I would do it nonstop on anything that I could find. But always monochromatic. Never, ever, ever, ever introduce a colour. And was it always, was it also using text? It came in when I was older. I think I used to use text more, before I started incorporating text into my work, I think I would title the works very cleverly and then I just started dropping the text into the work and just calling the work something quite simple. So earlier I would call the works like, uh, you've been out all night, babe. And there would be no text in the work, but then later, I would put you've been out all night, babe, in the actual work and call it call the work a night. Like for instance, there's so much text in all of my quilts and they're just called something really simple, like a shroud. 
a universe mm. quilt. Like, and there's mm. thousands of pieces of text in that. So with school, I take it you did art in high school? Yeah, topped it. Oh, did you? Yeah, man. Oh, what was your major work? What was your major work? Do you remember? Yeah, um, it topped uh, New South Wales HSC. It was called Poetry from the Public Toilet. And um, I stole three public toilet doors and um, exhibited them. So I took them off the hinges from public toilets where they had all the graffiti. Um, and I was talking about the poetry of trying to connect as a gay guy. Um, and in between all the abuse and dick pics, or, you know, dick drawings and stupid shit, you had these series of guys who left their home phone numbers and were trying to genuinely connect in Maitland, in the Maitland area. Mm. And um, I'm really sad I don't have it anymore because that's all gone now. Like that whole culture of trying to connect via public to like cruising is gone. And I described them in my essay, kind of like cave art, like it's a contemporary cave art. People scratching and drawing onto the toilet doors, some people trying to abuse, celebrate and connect. And I thought that was a really nice mm. idea. I didn't get into Art Express though. You didn't get in Art Express, but you topped the year in art. They probably didn't have space for it. And the content was pretty <laughs> rude. Yeah, well, that's the thing. So I suppose there were probably a lot of expletives that they couldn't really cover up very easily or something. Yeah, very presumably pretty conservative. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, yeah, well, what was it like growing up as a gay guy in Maitland? It was fine. I mean, I never, ever had a problem. Like, um, I, I was lucky enough to be, um, like, okay at school, went to a Catholic school. I knew that religion was not a thing. And, um, yeah, I just, I did what I wanted. I was out at school. The fear thing just wasn't there for me. This is not a true story for other people, but for me, that's what mine was. Well, it must be also relying on, it depends on your peers, who your peers are in that year at school, presumably. They're probably the most important people who are going to affect you in that way, do you think? Yeah, but, you know, there were 400 kids in my year. Right. That was huge, yeah. Yeah, it's just, that wasn't anything I felt shame about or I was concerned about. In fact, it was fun, to be honest. It was fun to tell people. Yeah? Yeah. It was exciting to be the first gay friend that they've ever had. So, obviously, you come first in the state in high school, so it's pretty clear you're going to do art after that. Was it, was it more or less you were, that's what you were going to do for sure? Um, I thought I was going to run a commercial art gallery. That was my aim. Oh, right. Yeah. Why was it? Why was that your aim? Why, why were you attracted to that? Um, I knew I'd be good at it. And, um, uh, you know, I especially like, consolidated that idea uh, during my first years at uni when I uh, kept failing practical classes. Like, uh, you know, I got failures for painting and drawing and printmaking. And, but I was topping um, theory and I was like, yeah, right, all right, yeah. Like, 
and working in galleries from the get-go, like uh, I really thought that's what I would do. So that's it's, it's so surprising to hear that you didn't, you weren't thriving in like sort of painting and drawing. Did that make you feel, when you failed those, did you sort of think, oh, I'm not going to be a practice as an artist? No. Did that I, take away your confidence? No, no. I, it made me think they're fucking idiots. <laughs> I just went, you know what, I've got a particular skill set and this is where it might be received better. So what sort of work were you doing when you are at uni? So, I, uh, well, number one, I applied to be a, uh, uh, an art gallery guide at Newcastle Art Gallery. And then um, Nick Mitsovich said to me, um, young people don't apply for this. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. And he said, uh, do you want to be, a, do you want to be insist, like, a, like an invigilator here instead? And I was like, yeah, great, cool. So I got that straight away. And then um, uh, I met Beatrice Spence, who's now the, one of the, the boss of Art Collector. And she said, uh, do you want to come work at an auction house in Sydney one day a week? And I was like, yeah, I do. So I would train from Sydney to Newcastle once a week. And then I got a, another one day job a week at uh, Annandale Galleries in Sydney. And I would work there and and that was the entire time through university. So that was a great introduction to the gallery system, obviously. What was it like um, working in an auction house? It was good. It was fine. Um, the very first time I worked at an auction house, um, again, I was 18 and um, had no idea what I was doing. But I held up a, uh, the first lot and I was having, you know, I had white gloves on and I held up a uh, probably like a 10 centimetre high ceramic possum and I held it up like this, like just like, oh, whatever. Anyway, the uh, auctioneer started and he said, oh, we'll start the bidding at 30,000 bucks. <laughs> and so I automatically <laughs> went to two hands and had done no research about what the fuck I was actually holding up. And it was Marguerite Mahood. <laughs> and, um, yeah. But um, that was pretty funny. And then a few, a few months after that, um, I always knew I was poisonously allergic to cats. Like, if I touch a cat, I'll, like, get hives and oh, right. swell up. And, but um, back in the day before social media was really exploding, we used to play with all of the uh, items and take photos and put them on social media. And um, this one auction we had, we had all these 200-year-old um, tiger skins and lion skins. And so we got all these photos of us looking young and sexy, lion and rolling around on tiger skins. And <laughs> little did I know when I was required to hold the works up, the skins up, um, my face exploded and it looked like I'd been stung by 10,000 bees whilst trying to hold these tiger skins up. <laughs> I was so <laughs> allergic. You couldn't even see my eyes. You should have put that up on social media. That would have been a good photo. Didn't you take a trip overseas after, that, after you were working in galleries? Or was that after you became a full-time artist? No, I was already a full-time I went full-time in 
uh, January 2012. Right. And, I, and then I went and took uh, 2015 uh, I completely off. I just took the year off and just travelled Europe for a year. Why did you do that? Um, I'd broken up from the relationship and um, I had money for the first time in my life. And um, I always said I was going to do it and I thought, I'm going to fucking do it. Where did, where did you go? What did you do? Um, I got invited to the Venice Biennale. I got invited to um, different events in Milan, in London, and I just took them all up on it. So I only booked three days in advance. Um, I went to Eurovision in Vienna. That was awesome. <laughs> and then, yeah, I literally went to basically half the countries in Europe and... I just needed to do that for a year, and um, it was great. Yeah, and didn't you do um, one of your ma- major works that are that is in this show, uh, one of the quilts? Because these quilts that you do, can we talk about that a bit? Because these quilt, these amazing quilts that you do that are quite detailed, they take up to a year each, don't they? Uh, at least uh, the quilt that I made in Europe. Uh, um, I think I was really frustrated and really like, oh, fuck making art. I don't want to do it anymore. It's fucking hard. Um, but it literally lasted two two days in London when I first arrived. <laughs> and I found this piece of Italian wool. Like, I can't tell you the texture. It's Velvet is quite, it's beautiful to touch, but it's quite firm. But this Italian wool is like velvet, but soft. Like it. It drips like oil, and so I found it, and it cost me a shit ton. And um, I had no idea what I wanted to make, and I just started embroidering when it rained, when it was cold, or when I was hungover. And over the space of a year, like going to Venice, and I found this beautiful piece of Venetian lace that this I saw this lady make, and. Oh, I hope she never finds out, but I unpicked it and, like, <laughs> turned it into the corners of my quilt. You know, like, uh, I just kept adding to it over and over and over. Well, that's the one where there's, like, a whole lot of skeletons that are just sort of piled one after the other, like, this huge mound. So you got that wool and then you would start and just keep, it would just expand. Yeah, it's only until about three quarters of the way through that you go, oh, this is what I'll do. There is no blueprint, there is no pre-sketch, there is no plan. I just go, let's see what this looks like. Do you consider the ink work more drawing rather than painting? Definitely. I see, do you want to know a secret? What? I hate paint. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, why are you on this show? I know! I hate it so much. It's (laughs) unpredictable. Predictable, it's unreliable. I, it doesn't do what I want it to do. Yeah. To do my, uh, my normal works, I have to water down the paint so thin to make sure that the surface is flat because I don't want any ridges. I don't want any texture. I have to, so I have to do layers and layers of paint. And I, my studio mates who all, they're all painters, and they go. They hear me go, fucking hell, I hate fucking paint. Because I just want to get 
I just wanted to get ink on there. You'd, you'd have to use paint rather than ink for those big works that you do, like those library works, for example. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that because that is a fantastic work. Um, it's like it's basically five works that were with collectors sourced together to get into this show, and it's twelve meters of basically bookcases with um, the spines of books showing and other items here and there like sculptures, um, but just these brilliant titles of all these books and no repeats. That's are you sure? No. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I saw on your Instagram page somebody. I think it was on your Instagram, someone was saying they owned one and how they loved they loved it because they it was such a talking point and people could come and they would come to their house and just look at it for ages. And I can see why, because in real life, if you see someone's bookcase, you, it's fascinating, isn't um, it? The best story I have on that is um, uh, one of my clients, oh, I don't know how to say this properly, but... Uh, uh, one person that owns a set of libraries commissioned me to do a mural years later. And I'm out in the yard doing a mural and um, her cleaner that she has every week came up to me and she said, oh, do you mind if I speak to you? And I was like, whoa, yeah, of course. Like, of course you can speak to me. She goes, I don't think you understand how, um, how much I needed to see your work every week. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, I found something that made me laugh that was new every single week. And I've sometimes I can't re-find the joke or the thing that made me smile or laugh or cry. But she just, and, you know, I cried, she cried. We both had a hug in the yard. Yeah. When you could hug people. And, um, you know, that, that's my job. Well, I mean, for an artist to hear that from someone that has had an effect on their lives is like the biggest compliment you can get, I reckon. Totally. And as an artist, you make these works, they leave your studio and you never see them again. So to have that was so fucking special. So um, you know how some people sketch? I do testers. That's what I call them. And there's tiny works where I... Um, I make a complete work, but I test it, like I go, am I gonna blow this up big? So um, I have a huge pile of testers and like often I lay them out and I go, oh, what I actually need to do is combine those, those five elements into the one work. But my dad, he's got the habit of when he could come in, he knows exactly where my tester pile is so he will go through it and just pinch them. So next time I go around to Dad's house for dinner, I'll find all of them professionally framed in a Maitland's, in a Maitland style in Dad's house. So Dad's house is like a shrine to all my failures and half-done work. The thing that I feel from about your work as well is that it seems to me, and you've said this, before that is very personal mm. are you always going to draw from your own sort of experience do you think um i realized early on like if i'm gonna have a career um i need a sustainable topic so if i like my life 
will be there as long as I'm making work. So this is what I'll make my work about. I don't want to teach people a lesson uh, with my work. I don't want to make work about birds, you know, whatever. I'm just going to focus on the experiences that I have, trying hopefully connect with other people so that they feel like they're not the only ones. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know that my text often appears really flippant and like, oh yeah, whatever, you know, but it's anything but. Like, I, I fucking work it right down to the... Like, I really, really structure my texts. And I work it over and over and over to get it to that Bogan poet level. Oh, so you see it as, po- you see it as poetry? Definitely. Like a land eye or a, like a... De- yeah, definitely. Uh, micro poems. That's what they are. Uh, what do you think about art prizes? Art prizes? I got a feeling you don't like them. No. You don't enter them? I've entered three in total, my whole career. Right. Having worked behind the scenes at a fair few art prizes, um, my personal opinion and why I won't enter art prizes is that they um, distort your sense of self and your market. Um, there are so many now, but peculiar, like peculiarly in Australia, that they're now ultimately meaningless. Um, and um, you don't think it's a good way to get your name out there? No, not at all. I make work. If you don't have gallery representation, for example and you're trying to get gallery representation or something. It's different for you, I suppose, because you've got three galleries. No, um, no I think it's got more to do with uh, how, you, how you make and produce work. Like, uh, my works only make sense when they are exhibited alongside each other. Like, I am telling a story, so I, I don't make one-off works. I think about groups of work. Mm. What, about, what do you think of social media for that, for getting noticed? Um, you've got to be really careful. In what way? Um, don't reveal too much um, of your personality. Don't get too successful on social media. Why do you think? Why, do, why is that important? Um, because then you'll have no institutional endorsement. What, you think a gallery won't be interested in someone who's popular on social media? No, a gallery will, but an institution like a, like a public gallery, like a, they want to discover people. Um, they won't they won't support someone too successful you have to just balance it out like uh, that's the tricky thing about being an artist in Australia today the market's so small Um, you can't do too well commercially if you want institutional success that's really interesting I didn't realize that oh that's according to me that's according to me well, you've got work in the National Gallery of Australia, so um, that must have been a bit of a coup when that happened. Um, How'd that feel? Oh, mate, I screamed. <laughs> How did that happen? How does that happen? Do they approach... They just notice you, I presume. You know what? All I know, and this is a good rule of thumb uh, if you 
do manage to work with a commercial gallery, don't hassle them. They just called me one day and said, this happened. And they were so happy for me. We all laughed and screamed on the phone. You know? Like, I was just told that it happened. Now, I often ask, I often ask guests how they, well, a bit about their routine, but how do they, what do they need, what conditions do they need in a studio to be able to get into the zone of making work? Um, do you, ha like, play music? Do you, like, in order to get started in the day? Do you find it easy? Oh, uh, yeah, I find it really easy. Um, it depends on what I'm making. So if I'm doing text-based work, like uh, if I'm making the libraries, that means I can't listen to podcasts. I have to listen to music because I make too many typos listening to podcasts. But if I'm doing pure pattern work, I can listen to podcasts. Talking about patterning, um, is that something that you, would, you were saying that you did from a young age? Is that you've always been interested in that sort of aesthetic? Yeah, that's, um, that's literally all I've ever done. Like, uh, no interest in colour, no interest in texture, just pure pattern. And uh, I, I've said this before, and I, I hope it's not too boring, but um, I think I use pattern like people use colour. Um, I don't think about, like, warm, you know, cool... I think about push, pull, twist, turn, sink, swim, things like that. So they're all verbs. So I, like if I do a really intense pattern, I want the next one to sink away. So yeah, that's how I think about making work. And so with you with with quilting, for example, uh-huh. Would you be would, would, with the quilts, would you be doing lots of smaller work pieces and then bringing that together later or, or uh, you know, and, and sort of trying to figure out how the composition will work uh, once you've got all these pieces? Um, uh, two different ways. So, I mean, I've made 14 quilts now, mm. but um, sort of planning it out is kind of ruining it, if that makes sense. Like, like, all I think about is that 30 by 30 centimetre square at a time. And then I explode and build off that. Like, if I knew, like, if I had this grand design for a two metre by two metre quilt, I wouldn't do it. I, I, wanna, I want to make it up as I go along. Like, I find that the exhilarating thing. I don't do any sketches, really. I don't do any planning. I mean, the quilts are all irregular. Um, even for my board works, they're literally made up as they go along. Um, that's the fun part because I, because I know I know how long it's going to take. So I leave that little joy for me along the way. Just wondering, like, with the, what the year holds for you, I presume you had a lot planned that is now not going to happen. Have you thought ahead at the moment about what, how your year's going to look? Um, so I've lost uh, three um, big mural commissions um, that I was really counting on. Um, group shows have disappeared, like everyone else, it's fine. 
But um, I'm just going to push ahead with my pre-planned solo with Hugo Michel on the 29th of July. Um, whether it ends up being online or whatever, I've already, I'm already halfway through it. So yeah. I'm just going to make the best show. And I've got plenty of fucking time, so that's what I'll do. Well, as you say, uh, it looks like people are going online and checking out what's happening in the art world online. So good luck with it. I'm really looking forward to seeing the show. And thanks for Zooming with me, my first Zoom. Thank you so much, mate. What a great guy. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lucas Grogan. Go to the website for links of things we talked about in the show and I'll be getting that video I talked about online soon too. I just also want to mention a few other arty things that are happening online which have popped up since uh, the coronavirus has been around. Some of you listening might already know about the Talking With Painters art quiz which I started a few weeks ago and you might even have been a contestant. There have been three winners already, Ongo, Sue and Lisa and it's basically a trivia quiz on live Instagram and the first person to answer the question in the comments section gets the point. If you're not on Instagram, this is a perfect reason to sign up. It's a lot of fun and it's every Saturday at 4pm. Also, you can get an idea of what the show's like from the highlights videos on my Instagram page. Also, over on Facebook, the wonderful Richard Moorcroft, who many of you will remember as an ABC news reader and presenter, has a great page called Exhibition with Richard Moorcroft, where he interviews artists with current shows, and it's designed to be watched together with the gallery's online images of the artist's work. He's already interviewed Jane Guthlieben, uh, Leo Robber, and podcast guest Peter O'Doherty, so go and check that out. Also, the Art Gallery of New South Wales is rolling out a great online program called Together in Art, which brings new commissions, um, exhibitions, behind-the-scene tours, performances and art classes all together in one spot. Also, uh, Together in Art Kids has been launched and Del Catherine Barton, uh, one of my podcast guests, is the first participating artist in the program and that's inviting primary school age kids to submit artworks. So check those out on the Art Gallery of New South Wales website. Also, don't forget you can see loads of videos I've made of artists in their studios on the Talking With Painters YouTube channel. If you haven't seen that already, just um, Google Talking With Painters YouTube and the page will come up. And um, you can also subscribe for free to, to the YouTube channel. Thanks for listening and hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking With Painters. Hey, um... Do you know the coolest thing about, uh, long story short, at Maitland? Um, I ran over schedule painting the murals there. So I had to work the Saturday and Sunday when the gallery was officially open. And I had Thurgate, my best mate, with me, helping me paint. And um, we have both worked in galleries since we were 18, right? Do you know one sound that you don't hear in an art gallery? laughter. People laughed the whole time they were in there. And I think I'm really lucky to have had that opportunity to have been so wasteful with my time to spill over to work the Saturday and Sunday to hear those people that weekend laughing their guts out, reading my libraries, looking at my quilts, 
you know, that was really special. 